mean, I've seen everything you can imagine. I've seen people come into the store in disguises. I've seen people arrive in cabs. I've seen people come in, you know, with their license plates taken off their cars. I've seen people park, you know, around the corner. You know, people sending in friends. I mean, everything that you could imagine, I've seen. Now it's it's the, it's 100% the opposite. You know, people come in and you know everybody's got pics on their phone, and we look at everybody's plants and you know celebrate everybody's gardening success. And you know, very very different than than how it used to be. This is Growing Forward, a collaboration between New Mexico Political Report and New Mexico PBS. I'm Andy Lyman with New Mexico Political Report, joined by Megan Kamrick, a New Mexico PBS correspondent and news director at KUNM-FM. Today we're at AHL, which is an indoor gardening center in Albuquerque. We're about to walk in, but first just to remind listeners that we first spoke to the store's manager, Travis Chapman, at a cannabis conference over the summer. There's uh, a lot of people who will be getting into growing, who aren't in growing right now. We'll get Travis's thoughts on how the story might change as we head towards recreational use cannabis. But first, Megan, what are your thoughts before we go in? Questions? Well, I've, you and I have lived in this neighborhood for a long time and I've passed this place every day. And I always saw it was like, oh, hydroponics. So they're helping people grow weed, right? Is that what they're making? doing and I never went in I'm sure they do other gardening stuff too but um, it was intriguing to talk to him at the conference just to get an idea of like how things are changing for him now yeah I think um, it was sort of like like you said I would always pass by and say like oh yeah wink wink indoor gardening center what kind of things do you grow indoors besides illicit plants you can't grow outdoors (laughs) right Um, but I'm also curious to see, yeah, how, how things change, if they're going to maybe start selling seeds or clones or, or, you know, seedlings. But also, I'm curious to know how his business, just like any other gardening center, competes with things like Amazon and Walmart and Home Depot, because I would assume you'd get some sort of specialized expertise here compared to, like, maybe another local gardening store. But, yeah, we'll find out. So for people familiar with the uh, southeast area of Albuquerque, uh, we're on the corner of San Mateo and Catherine. Uh, Caddy Corner to what maybe people remember as sort of a rundown shopping center, which is now an empty lot. Um, it's an interesting part of Albuquerque. Uh, it's sort of maybe has, has, is not as nice as it used to be uh, years ago. But He's been here a long time, though, right? Yeah, I think uh, since 1993. So I was here driving through at about 8 a.m. and across the street from us was crawling with cops this morning. Something very bad happened. Not unusual, um, I gotta say, on this corner. Uh, so it's interesting he's been here so long because um, it can be an interesting place to be. Yes, and <laughs> you can see owner. see some of the shops up and down this sort of strip of San Mateo. Uh, the buildings look like they've been there for a while, and maybe it used to be sort of a bustling um, mm-hmm. retail area. Uh, now, uh, sort of, it's not not as nice. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be interesting. It's interesting he's here, and eventually. The APD substation will open across the street with a park. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. Okay, we'll go see if Travis is here. Looking for 
Travis. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Hi, Travis. Hi. Nice to see you again. Likewise. Can you uh, start by kind of giving us a tour of the lay of the land? I noticed there's like a an indoor grow system set up over there. Mm-hmm. Sort of a... Sure. Can you yeah, do you want to start um, on any particular end or the no, other, or would you rather start there? So, uh, well, let's start by the door here. So uh, right here, as you first come in, we have all of our potting soils and uh, growing media products are out here. We're currently stocking, I think, 22 different brands of soil. So we have uh, lots and lots of things to choose from for all types of projects, all types of applications, everything from you know seed starting, cloning, propagation, soils, um, vegetative, flowering, super soils, all kinds of stuff out here. We also have uh, perlite, um, usually vermiculite when we can get it expanded clay aggregate grow rocks which are more of a hydroponic medium coconut core fiber why are there so many kinds of soil for indoor growing <laughs> well that's a good question a lot of it is brand differentiation so a lot of it comes down really to marketing you know especially over the years as this market has grown in size it's grown in economic value and so you have more and more companies that are basically getting into producing specialty soils, you know, that are not, you know, obviously not limited to growing cannabis, but that are appealing to people who grow cannabis. And so we probably only have a third of everything that's on the market, even with our 22 brands, and I'm probably underestimating that. Are there specific too. nutrients that cannabis needs or maybe doesn't need compared to other things? I know like nitrogen or that kind of stuff. Is there, like I'm looking at the soils and looking at different sort of, um, like this is what a coconut medium, I think. This is a potting soil or a potting mix that's based on coconut core fiber instead of peat moss. Okay. So, so we do certain things coconut that, that offer uh, nutrients that maybe regular soil wouldn't. For it, it depends on the product, really. So we have some soils that don't have any nutrients added at all. Those are really designed for the grower who wants to control feeding whatever they're growing you know right from the start and then we have other things that have some nutrients added and we have other things that have you know much higher nutrient content so they can feed the plants longer without the the grower really having to get involved in that part come on in oh, come on. you know as long as, as long as they're they're you know watering take care of the watering needs then there is some food in the soil um, a lot of that just really comes down to, you know, sort of the individual grower and, and that person's approach to it. Uh, so this is a, a pothos, so this is basically everybody's favorite house plant or office plant. Ours just happens to be growing in this 30-gallon deep water culture hydroponic system. So we have um, really a lot of size, very large plant here very uh, thick stems, large leaves in a lot of places. I mean, it's growing across the entire ceiling. Yeah, mainly oh, because of the, the hydroponic growing method. This that, plant, we estimate, is about five years old. Oh is that sort of uh, a testament to how well hydroponic systems work? You could see it that way, yeah. Yeah, I think. So we were talking about this before we came in, Travis. So um, honestly, we've driven by your store, and it's like, Oh, hydroponics, indoor growing. So really, this is for people who want to grow marijuana or cannabis. But is, am I wrong? Are there other things people are growing hydroponically? Sure. Our customers grow 
um, a lot of things. So, so a lot of our customers are cannabis growers, and that's always been the case. And historically, that's, that's also been the case in a store like this. You know, most grow stores, uh, wherever they are in the country, more or less exist because of the cannabis growing community. Our store's been open for 28 years, so obviously, you know, we, we go back to the 90s. We've been operating through a lot of very, very different legal environments around cannabis. So marketing and, you know, sort of positioning as a cannabis-specific store, which is 100% the norm today, was 100% not the norm almost 30 years ago. So we've had to evolve, you know, just with what changed with the times in a way, but that's that's always been a big part of our business, but but never never all of it. We've always had customers who were orchid growers, African violet growers, home vegetable growers, indoors and outdoors, uh, people that grow microgreens, wheatgrass, uh, teachers and school projects, um, research facilities in certain cases. So we've always had very diverse customer base. Can I talk to you for a moment? Uh, I can. We're part of a podcast. It's called Growing Forward. It's about cannabis mm -hmm. in New Mexico. Can you give me your name? Uh, Matt. Uh, do you want to give your last Harrison. name? Harrison? Harrison? Yeah. Okay. I'm here uh, getting some uh, uh, supplies I need because I grow myself. So. Oh, you do? Have you been here a lot before or are you? Okay. okay. First time. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this is your first time here? Yes. That's, oh, okay. that's even better for us because we're sort of trying to get at this whole thing of, you know, growing at home and um, have you found that, that stores like this or, or re this is a good resource to, to sort of get started? I mean, we have the internet, right? But to actually have somebody to talk to. Right. Yeah, it, it's better. And, you know, people want, you know, they're growing cannabis plus other things. You know, I, I came in today, you know, trying to fix a, a tree that I have. How long have you been growing your own cannabis? About four years. Four years. Why do you? Uh, why did you get into growing at home? Uh, way expensive in the dispensaries. Yeah. So. So you're a medical patient. Yes. What do you use cannabis for? Um, stress. Stress. Pain. Yeah, there, there's several things. Have you found cannabis helpful? Yes. Yes. Uh, how has it helped you? Um, relaxing. Um, you know, it takes care of some pains. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say it takes care of all of it, but you know, it, it does help. So, so what is it, are things changing for you now that you're going to be able to grow more at home? You already could grow at home, but now, um, does the, all this change affect you at all as a patient? Um, no, not really. Cause I'm still going to do the same thing I was doing before. You came here looking today to help you with a tree, but is this going to help you with your growing your cannabis too? Um, you know, the season's over for me this year, so right. I'm just getting the stuff that I can, uh, you know, cure mine. Oh, okay. So can you uh, tell us why you chose to, you know, come to a local shop versus shopping on Amazon or something like that? Because you can find almost anything online, right? Uh, I don't like shopping online. Okay. Yeah, I'd rather come in and see what I'm getting. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing. Thanks, man. You're welcome. the rest of the store 20 years ago when when customers came in was it easy to have an open dialogue and, and conversation or was it one of those like I'm growing up 
wink plant and I need help with this or could you have this open conversation? Absolutely not. No, not 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 back not back then. No. Not 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 the way that we sort of talk to customers and educate customers today. Uh, 100% different. You're sort of complicit with what was then illegal to, to do, so right? So the, the conventional wisdom in the indoor garden retail industry nationally, going back to probably the late 80s or 90s, the, the DEA's Operation Green Merchant thing that took down a lot of hydroponic and, and grow stores at that time because because they were doing things like selling seeds, you know, kind of under the counter and stuff like that. And so so the, the conventional wisdom, at least for our history and a little bit before, has always been there was a potential for a store or an employee of a store to be considered an accessory to a crime if somebody was, was caught growing marijuana illegally or cannabis illegally and the store, the people that sold them the equipment knew about it. You know, it wasn't the kind of thing that, that was really commonplace as far as I know, but that was just the conventional wisdom. That was how every store operated pretty much in the country in that era because people knew there was a risk, no matter you know whether it happened all the time or not. That was the perception. So that was pretty much how almost every store operated sort of like pipe shops or head shops where they're like this is a water pipe exactly. this is a tobacco pipe we can't say what it that it's for anything but legal purposes sure absolutely we had a we had our own legal policy that was printed in every catalog every price list posted on signs throughout the store and basically to that effect you know if you say anything about cannabis then you know we'll we'll we won't be able to help you because because that's potentially putting us at risk and and really what, what I would say the reality was back then is that the vast majority of our customers, um, you know, the, the vast majority of, of, of our cannabis growing customers respected and appreciated that policy because they valued discretion themselves. So they didn't really want to be in an environment where it was just a free for all as far as that went. And people depended on, on us and stores like this for supplies uh, we've been here longer than Amazon, you know, yeah. so so back when you couldn't just, you know, spend eight hours on YouTube and then order everything you needed from, you know, Discount Hydro or Amazon or whatever, people depended on grocery stores like this for their equipment. And so we, they didn't want to see us shut down. So they were, they were, you know, more than happy to kind of work within that paradigm. When you're talking about how you had to operate in this kind of gray zone and everyone sort of a wink, wink, don't say it out loud. When did you see that start to shift here? So where it really started to shift for us was when the, the medical cannabis program launched in New Mexico. And, and there were a few years where it was even more ambiguous because people had licenses to grow and consume that were issued by the state. But we were then and really still are in, a, in an environment where all of this is federally illegal. And, and, you know, in the early days of the medical program here, this was really before any of the, you know, Department of Justice memoranda kind of stuff about, you know, we're going to leave states alone. Like, really, none of that had really come out yet. So there was still this idea that there was some potential risk. So we kept our, you know, legal policy pretty well in effect for the first couple of years of the medical program here. And that was very controversial with some customers, and it certainly cost us business back then because, yeah. because there were people that felt like 
they had the blessing of the state. They were ready to, you know, come out of the closet, so to speak. And they uh, didn't really vibe with the fact that we were still being more conservative about that. But then over the years, you know, as the medical program grew and then recreational cannabis started happening all around us and more and more states added medical cannabis. And then the federal government, you know, had a couple of, of things that basically said, look, we're hands off on this as long as it's not crazy. Uh, things have relaxed around here right along with with all of that. And, and now, you know, in the rec environment, it's pretty much like, you know, there, there's no real prohibition on you know things that we that we talk about and 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 the ways that we instruct customers Do you experience customers coming in maybe for the first time explicitly growing cannabis saying like i'm just gonna just give this a shot and then they come back again and like oh my god i didn't realize how complicated this could be and um all the time okay yeah all the time because growing anything is is work and and a commitment whether you're talking, you know, indoors, outdoors, you know, even if you just have some tropical house plants at home, you know, you're you're making a commitment to those to those living things, and so growing anything is work. Cannabis is not a, I guess, a really difficult plant to grow in a lot of senses, but there are some things that are very specific about how cannabis grows, how you need to treat it and grow it to get the best performance. And, and especially for people that are trying to do everything indoors, you know, once you factor in having to provide grow lights, uh, you know, to, to give the plant the energy that it needs to, to grow, costs can be fairly high. You know, you have electricity costs every month in addition to your other supplies like fertilizers, pest controls, containers, soil, harvest supplies, all of that kind of stuff. So it's an investment of time and attention and money for sure. And so we do hear that from people a lot probably what what's more common though is people come in they don't really have a sense of what they're getting into they you know dabble in it a little bit and then they just sort of bail on the whole thing once they realize that it's actually a little a little more than they bargained for are they trying to grow inside or outside in some cases but um, it could be either okay. you know in inside is probably you know where we see more people just you know maybe under under supplying their grow you know they don't they either have a very limited budget or they just don't want to spend a lot of money because they're just trying it out. So they just get equipment that's not really going to deliver, you know, what they're looking for in terms of the plant size, the growth rate, the, the yield, you know, which is kind of the term that people use when they talk about the, you know, the dried flower weight, you know, at, at, the, end, at the end of the harvest period. It seems like, yeah, you're, when you're growing anything indoors, you're doing something that is naturally taking place outdoors generally. So you sort of have to sort of stack up all these things to Im uh, um, imitate outdoor grows, right? So you've got the lights, but now you've got to make sure you have ventilation and then you have to worry about pests because you've got extra moisture or something. And so you've got to monitor all these things. Um, I would imagine that's a lot of work. Yeah, you're kind of taking, you know, on the role of mother nature there. So there's definitely, it's definitely a commitment. But, you know, what we tell customers usually is that if you're if you're new to cannabis growing then you really want to give yourself one to two years to kind of develop your your skill and your ability in that you know don't you know probably for an indoor grower you know a, a start to finish cycle might be three to six months you know depending on how the how the person is starting the plants depending on how quickly things are growing depending on the strain and the time to maturity and things like that but so let's just say 
ballpark three to six months. So people, you know, who are brand new to it, who do that one time, they're probably not going to be very good, you know, or maybe not as good as they hope to be. But we always encourage people to stick with it. And, you know, in other words, don't even try it if you're not prepared to give it one to two years. Because so essentially you could put a seed in the ground with minimal effort and it would probably produce buds at some point. But it, the, the issue is how many buds, the quality of the buds. Um, yeah, that's a great way to think of it. And outdoors, that's that's probably more true than it is indoors because most uh, traditional cannabis strains or cultivars or whatever sort of you know term you want to use are photoperiod dependent strains so they need a, a distinct change in light cycle to initiate flowering so if you have one of those types of seeds indoors and you just have it under you know like a you know say 16 hours of light every day it'll never flower because so like, it's like the difference between auto flower and just like a regular photo seed. Exactly. And auto flower varieties are a lot more are common now and getting more popular. And so they just start to flower when they reach a particular age. So it's not light cycle dependent. Right. Exactly. That's one of the big things, you know, I think you were asking a little bit before about, you know, are things specific, you know, for cannabis or specific to cannabis and that, that aspect of the, photo period uh, triggering flowering is one thing that's very very specific to that you know cannabis is not the only plant in the in the world that's like that but it's it's very different than something like a tomato or bell pepper in that sense so i'm always amazed by that when you're talking about the regular photo seeds that literally the plant just sort of senses that the light is getting less and less and then starts to go into this other stage right I mean, I guess all plants probably do that to a certain extent, but... Yeah, I mean, plants definitely respond to light, they respond to temperature, um, all of those things, and then cannabis is just very specific in that way. I don't know enough about the sort of botanical history of it to know why that is, but, but, it's, but it's something that's kind of special about it. I forgot to ask a sort of obvious question. Um, with hydroponics, is it really using more water or less water or about the same? Because it's on a cycle, right? Most hydroponic systems are recirculating, which means that the, the plants are fed by uh, water from a reservoir that's maintained and changed out about once a week. So if you compare hydroponic, sort of indoor hydroponic production to maybe like field agriculture, there are a lot of water savings. I'm not sure if you were really comparing, you know, a hydroponic system indoors versus a soil you know, what we would call a drain to waste garden, which is what the way most soil plants work, meaning you water it in, a little bit comes out of the bottom and that's it. You know, you're not trying to capture that water. I don't know that the water used to be really different in that situation, but, you know, one of the old things that we used to, you know, say was that it were huge water saving advantages, but most of that I think is compared to, you know, sort of just open field agriculture. I, my understanding is that uh, cannabis in general doesn't, really like a ton of water right it that most commonly people overwater. so how does that work with i mean first of all is that true but secondly how does that work with hydroponics where it's just in nothing but water i would say that that that's probably not really true okay. uh, well so so i would say the fact that overwatering is a common problem is true but i wouldn't say from my experience that cannabis doesn't like a lot of water a lot of it comes down to the the medium and so that's where hydroponics would 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 really play a part. So if you're in a, in a hydroponic system, 
the way the, the plant survives is basically by being in that water and that nutrient either all the time or on a very regular basis. And uh, coconut fiber growing media is very popular and becoming more popular all the time. Coconut is really designed for a lot of irrigation. It's really not even ever supposed to dry out, so it should always. But if you're in a more traditional peat-based soil or even have just plants, you know, in your backyard somewhere, then you probably, you know, would not want to water those as much. But it's really the differences in the way the medium is interacting with the plant more so than what the plant itself, I guess, is looking for in an objective sense. This room, you'll find most of our nutrient products, and that's pretty much what just lines all of the shelves in here. We have all of our lighting equipment here. We have uh, exhaust fans. We have circulation fans. We have carbon filters, which are used for odor control. Uh, we have insect and disease control, pest control products over there, scissors, pruners. You know, we carry something like a dozen different types of uh, pruning shears for, for actually trimming the cannabis flowers once they're harvested. We have a trellis, we have light hangers, uh, thermostats, humidistats. And, uh, can I ask about the seabird guano? <laughs> sure, yeah. So that's, uh, I guess I should have known that was a good fertilizer. I didn't know you could go buy a bag of it. Yeah, yeah. So we normally have bat guano as well as seabird guano. And the bat guano is usually uh, a higher nitrogen content. So it's geared more for the vegetative growth stage of the plant. And the seabird guano is higher phosphorus content. So it's more appropriate for the flowering stage. Uh, I have a relative that told me that they started doing their own home grow and they had a whole system set up with, uh, I'm looking at your moisture or your, I guess it's uh, the moisture meter. Um, and they told me that they had a whole thing set up with the moisture meter and then like an automatic watering system. Is that something somebody could set up here? It's theoretically possible, but it's not very common okay. in, like in our store anyway. Okay. I just thought that was interesting that instead it almost seems like it takes all the fun out of it to just let it go, you know? Yeah, it's... um. You know, it's kind of just different ways to approach it. You know, some people like more automation because it saves time and, and, you know, maybe makes things a little bit more consistent for the plant. Our philosophy is probably more like you trade off that convenience and consistency for potentially lack of, of observation and lack of time spent with the plants. Because a lot of times how you discover problems is when you're when you're tending, you know, when you're watering, when you're rotating if you're you know trimming up some foliage that's dying off down below you know you're actually looking at the plants you're spending time with the plants that's really when you start to see you know do you have a nutrient deficiency happening here do you have the you know beginnings of a spider mite infestation do you have the first uh, indications of powdery mildew and so the more you you separate yourself from that that maintenance or that sort of tending relationship with the plants i think you you open the door to some other possible problems told me the other day that uh, at least maybe maybe every year but particularly this year that caterpillars are a problem yeah they have been a huge problem for outdoor growers this year yeah probably more so it's hard to say because every every year we see more and more people choosing to grow outdoors for kind of obvious reasons you know the legal environment's getting increasingly relaxed Albuquerque area has a very long growing season. So, you know, you can grow uh, very large cannabis plants here if you want to, and you can take advantage of the sun's energy the whole time. So 
there's less there's less cost. So every year we have more people doing it. Uh, this year, far 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 more than ever because of the recreational legalization that happened. So it's hard to say. We know that the problem was there because of the products that we were selling and the people we were talking to, and it seemed like it was, you know, catastrophically worse than it had ever been. But that may just be because there were so many more people growing, right. and that well, we I were. We had, I mean, we do go through phases of moths, right? I mean, those two are yeah. connected. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, I guess the more moths we have, the more eggs they're laying, and the more caterpillars we get. I was going to remind you to get pictures. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But we we definitely heard that from a lot of people. Hmm. Um, I'm looking at these uh, lights up here that seem to be just sort of a relic display of different yeah. lights. Are there, it got me thinking, is there any sort of light that doesn't work for indoor grow? I mean, is it like fluorescent or LED or do all lights do it the same really thing? It really depends on what you're doing in your indoor grow. So the only kind of lights that, that we really don't recommend for indoor gardening are incandescent lights because they're the least energy efficient type that are commonly available. Everything else, it's going to come down to the spectrum, you know, which is the, the wavelengths that are, that are actually produced by the light, how the plant responds to those, and then energy efficiency is a big, a big thing too, and that's why incandescents are really not quite as good. But, but, but it, what it really comes down to for the grower is what are you going to use the light for? Because fluorescents, for example, we sell a lot of uh, T5 fluorescent light systems. Those are really, really great grow lights for seed starting, cloning, um, you know, supplemental light for houseplants and tropical plants. They can do vegetative growth of cannabis and other plants up to, you know, probably 18 inches tall, maybe up to 24 inches tall. But once you get to, to that kind of size, there's just not enough light intensity there to keep the plant growing and thriving and ultimately producing the, the flowers or the fruit that you're looking for. So, so everything can be a good light as long as you're using it for the right the right stage or the right purpose. You might show on this side, speaking of lights, I think it's a good transition uh, into this room. It looks like mm -hmm. this is where you have most of your light displays. Yeah, we have a lot of displays in here. You know, so what, what we try to do in here is show people examples of most of the different types of lights that we sell, just so people can, can visualize what I was just talking about, about things, you know, being appropriate for different stages of growth or sort of different applications. So we have T5 fluorescence in here, compact fluorescence, LED. Uh, we have ceramic metal halide. The only uh, types of light that we're not really demoing anymore are the, the really traditional grow lights or kind of a, the old school lights like metal halide and high pressure sodium. And, you know, those lights really built this industry and in every sense of the word. And we still sell all of that kind of stuff because we have customers who still use those lights and prefer those lights even to some of the newer things but they're 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 definitely not as popular you know as as leds are becoming so so we're we're trying to you know showcase here the the kind of lights that, that most people are really looking mm -hmm. to purchase especially if they're newer growers what is the biggest competition for ahl is it other nurseries or is it online shopping is it home depot I think it depends on the, the product or the product category that you're talking about. I think if you're talking about, you know, more specialized things like lights and exhaust fans and carbon filters, uh, it's it's certainly uh, the internet would be would be our biggest competitor. I mean, we compete with other grocery stores in town as well, but it, but in a sense, the 
all of the stores together are competing against against the internet. So for that kind of stuff, definitely, you know, the big A and you know other other companies are, are big competitors there. For other products like soil, you know, we do compete against nurseries. We uh, definitely compete against uh, Walmart, Home Depot, Garden Center, places like that. Now they won't. The nurseries may carry similar soils. Um, hardware stores generally don't, but we're still competing with them because people may just you know substitute one brand for another. I think what you you probably have experienced like other local businesses is. Um, basically running out of stock and I mean does Amazon buy all this stuff up and does that make it hard for you to get stuff from suppliers I wouldn't say it's Amazon necessarily but we have encountered a lot of supply chain issues in the last year and a half like like every other business in, in the country every so, other retail business well not even just retail business right. I guess it's happening it's affecting everybody right now when we spoke to you back in June you'd said that there was a maybe a consideration of AHL looking into getting a license to maybe sell clones or seeds or are you still looking into that or tracking? no our understanding is we are not going to be eligible for that because we are uh, less than 300 feet from a school is that i mean is that a big deal would you prefer to be able to have cannabis here in some ways it would be such a great uh, natural fit for us to be able to sell seeds and clones you know we would never sell cannabis products you know we have no interest in becoming a dispensary or or anything like that but because we already sell all the growing supplies it would be it would be a great opportunity for us to sell the seeds and clones at the same time and so we were we were really excited about that possibility but it doesn't look like it's going to happen is it worthwhile for you to move to be able to do that no no definitely not i mean there may be other reasons that a move would make sense one of these days but definitely not for that reason or even i guess maybe like a satellite location that's just the clones or just the seeds or something yeah like yeah i think that's a possibility i think um you know there's a lot of a lot of new opportunities are emerging because of the the rec laws that are changing and so i i would envision you know at some point in the next few years us having partnerships with other businesses where you know maybe we have a presence in another store somewhere and then you know either selling grow supplies in conjunction with somebody else who's selling seeds and clones and plants or you know maybe we're we're cohabitating a space with somebody where we're actually selling that kind of stuff and and you know not but not selling it here mentioned before that there's people that would come in and that have maybe dabbled in the past and kind of know a little bit have you seen an uptick since I guess June 29th of people that are like I've never done this before maybe once or twice have I consumed it but like I'm brand brand new to this is that yeah we've had a lot of, of really brand new growers this summer yeah, a lot or even brand new I guess connoisseurs people that are maybe like well i don't i wouldn't say that for a couple of reasons you know one is that's it's not typically the kind of stuff that we're discussing with people so sure. we don't necessarily know anything about that and also technically right now you can possess it but there's no way to acquire it so 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 theoretically all these people shouldn't be right, right, you know right. for, for, for the state of uh, new mexico right unless they're unless they're states and obviously you know the the black market is going strong and 
you know, Colorado is, is that way, Arizona is that way, and, you know, there's a lot of ways for people to get cannabis products, as there always have been. Mm-hmm. We were talking before we came in here, you know, this, <laughs> this corner's very active. There were a bunch yeah. of cops here this morning, oh, yeah. not unusual. Right. Is it hard for you, because I would imagine if people know they have anything to do with cannabis are you do you have to have higher security because they think you've got cannabis in here no i don't think so i mean over the years we've we've had a few you know incidents of of we've had a couple of armed robberies we've had a couple of break-ins a couple of attempted break-ins but you could go to any business between here and um answer probably and find the exact same story so I, i don't really think that we've had more of that kind of stuff because you know we also you know we don't sell cannabis we don't grow cannabis we don't store cannabis here you know so anybody that that you know did more than just a cursory look at the store would realize that you know we we sell garden supplies yeah have you been with the store since because 1993 is when it first opened is that right uh, that's right that's uh, when the store first opened and i have worked here since 1997. you're talking about negotiating the marketing back in the day before cannabis was legal. Yeah. Now you're going to have a police substation caddy corner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're actually uh, really excited to see that here because we think it will improve the overall safety of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we deal with a lot that's a challenge for us is the perception of, of safety here, you know, probably compared to the reality of it. Mm, right. Because, you know, as people who are here every day, there's definitely stuff that that goes down in this area but it's never been an area that has proven to be unsafe for any of our staff or any of our customers for almost 30 years we started across the street from the acapulco taco so we've been in this block basically or this couple block area for for the whole history of the store but there's a perception you know especially in other parts of of albuquerque that you know, this is a dangerous area. You know, you wouldn't even want to come here during the day, which is really just, just utterly untrue, but that, that perception is, is what it is. And so it's one of the challenges that, that we have. So we're actually excited to see the police come in over here because we think that it will help the overall feel of the neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> is that a real thing? I think so. So there's a sticker of Larry Barker on their cash register. Uh, from Channel 13 News saying, who is growing all this trash weed? Larry Barker investigates. It's not real. It can't be. <laughs> Did want to ask you about the Larry yeah. Barker sticker. That's, ah, okay. Is that real? Was that a thing? No. Uh, so this was given to us uh, years ago by a customer, and I don't know where he got it. And it was just a, like a little meme that somebody made and it's been on our uh, cash drawer for years it's <laughs> <laughs> really funny all right well, thank you for again. sure okay so megan we just spent about an hour in there talking to travis what are your thoughts what did you, were you surprised what are you what did you learn well, I am a history nerd, um, so I'm always interested in how things have evolved. And I thought his descriptions of what the business was like in the late 90s and how they had to operate because of the way the laws were was pretty fascinating. 
and how that's evolved? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm pretty young. So like some of the times that he's talking about, you know, 90 in the 90s, I was, I was a, a kid. And so I wasn't really keyed into some of these things, you know, like I always knew that this place was here, but I didn't ever, it kind of blew my mind when he was talking about how people were so secretive. And then again, it's like, I have to go back to that time when um, it wasn't that long ago, maybe 25 years ago that people were like, this is a gateway drug. This is going to ruin your life. And you're going to go to prison for years if you get caught growing it. You know? Well, so, yeah, and that businesses like this could get busted yeah. if someone was growing and they had products from this business, even though they couldn't really talk at all about cannabis. It was basically, yeah, you had the, to use all these euphemisms when you went in to the buy The people that, that didn't want to be seen coming in, that sort of... Uh, I guess when I stop and think, it doesn't surprise me that that was the case, but it's so different in how fast things have moved from, say, 97, 98, 2000 until now that uh, it's it's just a hard thing to... And, and we just saw so a variety of people yeah. uh, go in there while we were in there. And then just to think that, you know, 20 years ago, people were like, I better put on my wig and glasses before I go to the grow shop to get my grow medium, you know. <laughs> Other than that, I just, yeah, I mean, it was, um, I don't know anything about hydroponics. I'm not a good gardener. So um, it was kind of fascinating to listen to the depth of his knowledge about um, all of that and trying to help people who are, clearly they've had a huge influx of people coming in who want to get into this. Yeah, it makes me wonder what sort of, maybe in another 20 years, how many people will have cannabis plants just sort of growing in their backyard whether or not they're, you know, regular users or, you know, occasional users, not users at all, if it's just going to be something that just, you know, sort of is in everyone's backyard. Thanks everyone for joining us today in our little field trip and uh, listening to another episode of Growing Forward. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Christian Bjorklund. Our logo was designed by Catherine Connolly. And as always, a special thanks to our producer, Kevin McDonald.